these moments where you have always been so faithful to us. Father, thank you that you can bring your, your word to bear and your word can be powerful if you, by your spirit, bring power to it. And so, Lord, help these words become living truth to us and help us find a living Savior uh, in whom we live and breathe and have our being. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, so um, one of the most insignificant gestures a preacher can ever do in the pulpit is take off their watch. It doesn't really do much by way of shortening the sermon, but it is impressive, isn't it? Um, no, it actually does help me a bit. Uh, I am ready to go. I love this text. It is one of the, it's just, you can sense it's a really important text. It's right up there. I, if, can we do this with our Bibles? Can we say there's top 10 texts in the Bible? Well, this is one of those. My grace is sufficient for you, for you right? So, um, so, years ago, there was this uh, team that dominated uh, NBA basketball. Uh, as one who grew up in Southern California, a uh, Lakers fan, it was very hard for me to watch the Chicago Bulls uh, dominate. Uh, back in the 90s, uh, they had this uh, Michael, some, Michael, someone, Michael Jordan, and he had no, abil- no problem scoring. He was an all-star, no doubt about it. But uh, little did we know uh, there was a problem, we who are just regular fans. Uh, Michael Jordan could score 52 points in a game, and they, the Bulls would lose. Uh, so uh, you, most of your fans would scratch your head and wonder what happened. Uh, but they have this... Uh, basketball guru, uh, Phil Jackson, their coach, and he noticed right away uh, what the problem was when Michael Jordan had a superstar night, and they lost. Uh, The problem was that Michael Jordan had to admit that he had a a weakness. Um, The weakness was that he was not a very strong team player. And so it's impressive that he can score 50 points, um, but they're not going to win championships if he continues to uh, play the way he plays. And so he convinced uh, Michael Jordan that what would it be like if you scored 41 points and Scottie Pippen scored 27 points and then someone else scored 19 points? You see, this is how you need to pass the ball more to get the other players going, right? So until he admitted that at his core there was a weakness in his game, um, they were not going to go very far into the championships. Now, I don't have today a winning formula for basketball, uh, but I do have a scripture talking to us about weakness. We explored last week, uh, spiritual maturity is actually um, quite a surprising uh, thing. Um, Spiritual maturity includes embracing and boasting in one's weaknesses. And that's kind of a strange thing. We might think of discipline. We might think of knowledge. We might think of uh, theological uh, sharpness, acumen. We might think of all kinds of things. What what makes up spiritual maturity? What Paul says, it is actually being able to embrace weakness. Spiritual maturity uh, today is embracing grace daily at your point of need. Embracing grace daily at your point of need and thus having a, a resting heart, a resting heart. I'm curious about you a little bit today. Uh, 
Do you find yourself reacting to life? Do you react to life or do you respond to life? Remember when I was young in ministry and, and new at this, I had an older pastor uh, sit me down and he, he knew that I as a youth guy, I was a reactive guy. Um, and he could see that this was trouble. And I remember one of the first sit down mentoring, counseling uh, sit downs with him was helping me understand the difference between reaction and responding. And uh, I, I think he helped me a little bit. <laughs> uh, I can still see that tendency in me. Is God's, provi- is God's providence, and when we say providence, we're not talking about a place in Rhode Island. We're talking about um, how God masterfully orchestrates your life, God's providence. God governs all the details of your life, my life. Is God's providence a threat to you? Is it uh, what's going to happen on Monday? Is that so uncertain to you that you're not quite sure uh, if you can you can handle it? it? It wouldn't surprise me that there are some of us, perhaps many of us, who uh, have an anxiety about life and about even God's providence that we're not sure about it. And I think this text will generously speak to us today. Even when you think about other people, are they a threat to your your sense of peace, your your sense of sort of a sense of control in life, how people are reacting or responding to you? Well, Paul has to respond to his critics lest he and well the other churches lose the Corinthians to a false gospel. That's really it's what's at stake. And so Paul's opponents claim that uh, they have special revelations from the Lord. Right? How about, that's impressive, isn't it? There are groups today, actually, um, who claim to have apostles in their midst. We would believe that the, the, the apostolic office came to a conclusion at the end of the, the final apostle. They were very uniquely gifted. They were given a special revelation. Uh, they were uh, a unique office in the church, and so they had special authority. And so we believe it would be very troubling to have a, an apostle running about, uh, uh, in the midst of us today, claiming authority, claiming visions. Um, we would say that apostolic authority is embodied in the scriptures. That's where our apostolic authority is. So these opponents claim that they've had visions. Well, Paul, where are... Where are your vision credentials? Mm-hmm. Now, Paul has been going on about boasting. Some of you, these have been kind of hard. These have been difficult texts, uh, by the way. And the Bible does have difficult portions in it. And we've been sort of uh, uh, getting through some of these. And this boasting section keeps going. And Paul has been forced to do this. Um, and he will not be outdone. And so he describes in verse 7 his surpassing revelations. In verse 2 he speaks in an unusual way. He speaks in a third person. Uh, You may have noticed that in verse 2. I know a man in Christ 14 years ago. Well, he's talking about himself there. And he is, because of modesty, referring to himself but doing it in a kind of a uh, uh, third person way. It happened 14 years ago time of, the, of this writing, and he speaks the truth, but he's resisting, exalting himself too far because he does not want anyone to think more of him than was warranted. It's a very interesting 
statement on spiritual maturity right there. If you have the ability to impress someone, you have some credential, you have something that can really give someone go, oh, somebody, you have that, and you purposely throttle down. You purposely don't bring that up. You don't name drop. You don't, it's interesting, that's very interesting that he purposely, yes, he mentions it. It occupies a few verses here in verses one through six, but he backs away from it, even though it is truthful. Cults start this way, don't they? Someone has a vision. It's very unique. It's about their authority, about they can, they have new revelations and off they go and no one's going to doubt what they've seen or heard. Spiritual maturity looks like throttling down on whatever you might have going for you. How about that? Lest people trust in something other than the grace of God. So Paul uses the phrase third heaven in verse 2, and then in in verse 3 he says paradise. So we probably shouldn't get too caught up in are there multiple levels in heaven um, this is a, I would say this is a figurative way of speaking about paradise, about heaven. Paul is aware of his flesh, that part of us that's still hanging around, and he realizes that his flesh can get a hold of this special privilege he's had, and he could probably use this in a kind of spiritual pride. And uh, so he's realizing that this um, God has given him something to slow him down. And God has given him a thorn in the flesh. And we'll, we'll sort of look at what this is. But the last thing the church needs is an sp- arrogant leader. An arrogant leader. But they do exist, right? Um, in the Presbyterian tradition, there is a perceived strength from being around the right people the right theologians, the high and mighty, the connected, the great ones of our tradition. Now, you may not care much about this, but this is a, uh, an Achilles heel in our circles. A spiritual pride can be part of our tradition. <laughs> and some churches are well-traditioned in that. <clears throat> I, I have studied under the way, one of the great theologians of the past 100 years. That's very true. But... Uh, I don't say much about that, and um, I, I don't, I'm not even sure why. Uh, I don't, can't say I have any particular purpose behind that, but other than to say that one time, though, I did have an encounter with someone who didn't think that much of me. That's always an interesting experience. And they didn't really think I knew what I was doing, didn't really have my theology right, but they gained an understanding of me. I had studied with one of the great theologians of the last hundred years. And finally, they perceived my worth. I had true spiritual greatness. I had been transported into Presbyterian heaven. And I gained esteem in this person's eyes. I was finally okay with this brush with greatness. And this is the narrative, by the way. This is the narrative. This is what the, the Corinthians have bought into. Spiritual greatness. Is that even a... Is that, can we even talk that way? They... They had bought into the narrative, you can only be truly someone if you have great spiritual experiences, extraordinary credentials, and uh, you have power. 
This comes to you by being around the right people, having the right family background, the intellectual pedigree, impressive resumes. This worldly spirit is a virus at Corinth, and it is possibly going to destroy them. And Paul is very careful with the advantages he may have have had and the privileges that he may have been given. And what he says now is quite remarkable because God is what is behind this obstacle called his thorn in the flesh. And let me read verse 7. So to keep me from being conceited, listen to that, to work against my fleshly tendencies, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, they're beyond anything you can imagine. A thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Now, this has been a mysterious uh, um, thing uh, for many, many years, this thorn in the flesh. And uh, it seems to be some sort of being because there is a messenger behind it, right? It might have been a being or it could have been a thing. Uh, It could have been some sort of eye uh, an, an eye problem that Paul mentions to the, the Galatians that he wishes that he could pluck out his eyes and give them to him. It's a strange phrase. Did Paul have some eye disease? Did he have a speech uh, impediment? Did he have some physical something about him that was distracting and it was an, a hindrance to, to his work? Uh, some have speculated that maybe a demon had been assigned to him. That's interesting. C.S. Lewis and Screwtape Letters might go along with that idea. So, so this is a very curious thing, a messenger from Satan. Uh, and, and specifically to keep Paul humble, keep him humble, could have been these Judaizers who keep following him. In Galatia, that the, the, church, the churches there almost imploded because of this legalism. And now Corinth is now dealing with these Judaizers as well. So it's a really curious thing. Um, if you find out what the, uh, what the thorn of the flesh is, write a book, make lots of money, okay? So uh, we're not sure what that is. But we have now verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Interesting, Jesus pled three times in the garden that the cup, the cup of God's wrath would pass from him. Three times really represents just an earnestness. Have you ever prayed for something over and over, right? Well, that's deeply connected to your heart. Uh, And so three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. In verse 9, but he said to me, now the question has been, just before I quote this, the question has been, Paul, what are your revelatory credentials? What what revelations have you had? What are your spiritual experiences, right? That, That thing. And then these at Corinth are all, yeah, yeah, and they're going on with their visions and they're going in both. Now, interesting. Paul has a vision and a revelation from the Son of Glory himself. All right? So this continues on in that criticism. Well, what has Paul heard from Jesus himself, uh, from heaven itself? What has he heard? Well, he's heard something about weakness. (laughs) Not strength, Corinthians. Weakness. Here it is. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That is a famous, famous portion of God's word. Now, a couple of things are, are going on with that, with that verse. First of all, 
what's actually happen, happening here is that Jesus is referring not only to the grace that Paul needs in the moment for, for the thorn in the flesh as he's crying out for it. What Jesus is referring to is the grace of the whole of his salvation. So what Jesus is saying is, my grace that has brought you into union with me, as it were, the grace that has brought you into this salvation will always be sufficient for your needs. And then, of course, there's grace that God provides us in the moments when we need it. But Jesus is now affirming to Paul that he has declared his grace sufficient as the whole package of salvation. What he has received in Christ is sufficient for what he experiences. And what is it sufficient to do? What does this grace do? It is being made perfect in weakness. And it's a good question for us as a church to think about. What does grace do? If you were asking for God's grace to work in your lives, how would you know you're right in the center of God's will to be praying according to what God will give you? Lord, it's at this moment of weakness, this place of weakness, that I'm asking for your grace to come in to my life. And I want you to notice something that happens rather quickly. Verse 9 continues, and Paul has no hesitation. And therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, that quick transition to the therefore, I will boast of my weaknesses, well, for Paul, and for us, it really happens pretty quick here, doesn't it? Well, for us, it takes decades. Uh, for us, that transition of resting, uh, of a resting heart, uh, that's not a weekend seminar. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me, and I stand before you as an anxious person, sometimes struggle with depressing thoughts and wrestle with weaknesses. Guess what? There is no quick fix that we would just grasp grace quickly and understand it having listened to one sermon. My grace is sufficient for you. That entering into our weekly experience, our daily experience, our work experience, our spousal experience, the disappointments in life, oh, that is a remarkable wisdom that will take a long time to, to gain. And by the way, this is a denial of a prayer request, if you notice that. Uh, the thorn in the flesh doesn't go away, doesn't appear to have. And it's a positive response to say, I am with you with powerful grace. And this power is manifested or sharpened, made strong in, in hardships and afflictions. Paul says, I will boast more gladly in weakness. So this is, again, a spiritually mature person. I hope that we could be a church like this where I don't, during prayer request time, you could just say, I feel like my life's falling apart. And you're not going to have people go, well, how did you get into this place? You know, How did you get here? We don't want that. I feel like my life's falling apart. I feel like I don't have strength. I feel like I don't have the ability to manage everything. 
I will boast all the more gladly with my weaknesses so that the power may rest upon me. Let me ask you, what what kind of power do you want to rest on you? Do you you want a power to rest on you? Is there a power? You don't normally think that way. The power of your achievements. It's a rush of adrenaline, isn't it? It's good to achieve things. Yeah. But is that what you're actually living for? The the power of status, your goals fulfilled, uh, the esteem of others, some in in addiction, the the power of of a mood gripping me once again, the power of a mood. Interesting, what do you want to rest on you? What do you want to rest on you? Sometimes on a family vacation, it might be reasonable, even at the point where you have... You've, you've got a reasonable request of life. Uh, like you're a family vacation you've been looking forward to. You're tired. You're glad you get away. You, you've, you've taken painstaking detail uh, effort to, to get that rental car your family needs. You, you, you got it. You got, the, you got it. It's perfect. Only to find out when you get to the rental car agency that they don't have what you carefully booked. And you've got to deal with luggage that's all over you in, in the car. And now this whole thing is falling apart. Your careful planning feels worthless. You volunteer in the church, and it's just more difficult than you thought. There's pressure you feel. You feel unsatisfied. And yet we have here Paul legitimately asking for a break, and God we can do that. We can do that. If you're wanting relief in your life, I'll pray with you. It's no fun to suffer. It's no fun. But when was the last time you sensed his sweet counsel to you in the midst of the hardship? When was the last time he calmed you by the news of this massive grace that's yours in Christ? What are you looking to calm you? What are you looking to give your heart rest? Have you, here's another question, have you grown in your capacity to bear with what you would otherwise not want? I know that, I know some of your stories here, I know you are bearing up under difficult circumstances. Are you, though, responding to hardships the same way you did 10 years ago? Has grace increased in your understanding of what you have in Christ? Again, I want to affirm, I will pray with you. I don't want you to be afflicted. I don't want you to have troubles. And maybe God will relieve you of this trouble. But he also says to us that there is Sufficient grace being given to us. Grace is going to meet me at the end of my reserves. Look at verse 10. Uh, I thought Paul was done. Look at verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then, another conclusion, I am content with weaknesses. And he goes on. I didn't really realize this. Insults, what? Content with insults, hardships, persecutions, 
and calamities. That's like a flood, an earthquake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. <laughs> um, I sort of liked it when you just like general weaknesses, you know. Oh, all right, general weaknesses, that's fine. Do you know, he lists five areas where he's saying, God's providence is no longer a threat to me. Now, whenever the Christian life, whenever the gospel, whenever grace is firing in your heart, be assured two things are happening. Freedom and power. Freedom and power. Wow. That is a description of a resting heart. A resting heart with so many of our, of our areas of our life that we really cannot control. We really cannot control. Paul is essentially saying all of these are entry points into experiencing the grace of God. All of these are instructors saying, oh, but there's grace. There's a hymn written in 1941, and I'll wrap up with this. There's a hymn written in 1941 by Annie Johns Flint. It's, t- it's titled, He Giveth More Grace. It's an old English here. He giveth more grace. Listen to these words. Listen to this this woman who had a grasp of sufficient grace. Listen to this. The second verse of the hymn, He giveth more grace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, our store of endurance, when we have when our strength has failed, ere that day is half done. When we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. You pray for me that I'll experience this freedom and this power in the infinite riches of Christ's grace for me. And I'll pray for you that you would enter into this as well. And we are a workshop we are a continuing workshop for, for how does this work in our lives and, and to be a bit more vulnerable than perhaps we feel comfortable with and to say, okay, I want to enter into this, this moment where grace enters into my life and I experience this power. Let's pray. Your love, O oh Father, has no limit and your grace has no measure. Father, we think of your Son, the divine Son of God who walked this earth and his heart was so close to those who were broken. He understood the social misfits, those who couldn't pull it together and those who were under such stress and under heavy burdens. And he called them to come unto me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, And you, oh Jesus, will give them rest. Lord, could we be a church of the resting heart in the midst of an anxious culture? Lord, help us rest in you. In the name of Christ, the powerful one who rested in his Father. 
and gave himself for us. We pray. Amen.